Okay, welcome to Meet Your Neighbor um, on what would be WMUC, but today is um, recording from my basement and Zoom. Um, this is Meet Your Neighbor with Maddie, um, the show where we talk about your neighbors in the UMD community, and we talk about life, history, future, goals, and projects. And today I have the lovely Matt Patterson. Say hello. How you doing? doing great <laughs> glad to be um trying to get my show back um on the air again very excited for what we have in store today mm -hmm. so um on the radio this is where i would normally play a song but we're just going to jump right into it Perfect. so um give us your little pitch what's your name your major tell us a little about yourself share with the class well wonderful uh so my name is matt patterson uh, i'm from gaithersburg maryland and uh, I'm class of 2021, and my major is government and politics. Awesome. So um, the first part of our show is a little bit about your past. So give us the SparkNote summary of your life. What's the main points? What do you want to share? Well, um, I guess from a young age, um, I was able to experience a lot, not just within America, but throughout the world in terms of culture. Um, when I was about seven years old, uh, I was able to move overseas. Uh, my family uh, was separated and uh, I was able to live in, in Thailand and in Germany. And I visited about 20 plus countries down there. So even when I was, you know, before the age of 10, I was able to see how a lot of different societies and how different groups of people worked and how they were. And I think that was really important to kind of sum up how my development was as a kid to see that was very important for me. And uh, I moved back to the United States because I originally lived in Prince George's County, then I moved to Montgomery County and then overseas. I moved back to Montgomery County in 2009 and uh, I went to uh, Forest Oak Middle School and then Gaithersburg High School. And uh, I think those years helped really reinforce what I learned as a child that, you know, uh, learning a lot about how different groups of people act and how to treat people, even if they look different from you or speak differently from you, that is, it's all important, you know, to treat each other as people and as humans. So I believe those are the main, you know, spark points. Uh, I was able mm -hmm. to pursue education after uh, Gaithersburg High School, go to Montgomery College, uh, had a real turning point, decided to pursue an education. That's how I wound up at UMD. Awesome. That's great. So... From your time abroad, what were some of the highlights, what are the points that you remember most that you think, you know, like you said, had an impact on your ideas now, or your um, thoughts now? Thoughts now? Uh, just definitely traveling, like I said, but it was like two specific countries, because uh, my mother, she worked for the government, so mm -hmm. she was able to move around a lot, but she had the freedom to save up and, and travel, because she was a single mother at that time. So it wasn't easy, but she was still able to prioritize it. Um, but like, for example, I, I was able to go to China when I was very young and seeing how a country that is seen as so far away from the United States, how they function, how the novelty of seeing like an American kid was very impactful. I mean, I was able to see the Great Wall of China and I saw places like Australia, you know, uh, almost on the other end of the, the globe, um, how they were and just how similar everyone was. You know, it was just really uh, part by uh, in a geographical sense, but they were just the same in terms of emotions, in terms of feelings. But we always had that like outsider feeling, you know, whether we were in Thailand or we were in China or in Australia, we just felt like outsiders. But it was definitely a turning point to see 
the cultures and the history behind it. Because in America, you know, we're always taught about the Revolutionary War and loose history about the Native Americans and everything like that. But you see in other countries, there's history that goes back hundreds of thousands of years, especially in places like Egypt and uh, Indonesia and things like that. So to gain from those cultures, I think was a big standpoint. I saw how the rest of the world looked. So permanently, it gave me a big picture mentality, I think. That's really important. I know personally, I've always lived in this area. Yeah. And it can be hard to like, see who we are from an outsider's perspective when yeah. we're always inside, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, did you ever feel any place that was specifically home-like to you while you were moving around? I guess the place that I liked the most living in, oddly enough, was Germany. Um, Because I lived there about three years. And um, when you move around a lot as a kid, like home is, it's kind of a loose term. It just means with your your family. So uh, when I think of home, uh, it's not really a geographical location. But I think the place that I enjoyed most like a home was when I lived in Germany. Um, I lived in Berlin, the capital, and I was actually born uh, in Augsburg, Germany, but to military parents. So going back there, and even though German culture is very different from the United States, uh, I still lived there, you know, played in the street and everything like that. I was about 10 years old. Um, That was basically my home and kind of your dominion, because as a kid, you know, you have your backyard, you have your your front door, your your street, so that becomes your your playground, your kingdom. So I think looking back, uh, I really considered that. Until I moved, of course, back here. Right. How old were you when you were in Germany? So I moved, and I have to do the old man think about it. <laughs> I uh, I moved there, I believe, when I was nine. So I think it was from 2006 to 2009. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So you said you were born to military parents. That's right. Um. So what was your experience? Um growing up when your only sense of community was probably with your family. Sorry to be assumptive, but. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is a good point. I guess I didn't think about it. Um, well, it can either have one or two effects, right? If you only have your family uh, close knit, you can become really close to them or you can, you know, be kind of fraught with them. But I think it did bring my family as a unit closer together, especially my mom and my abuela. She lives with us. Um, so that's, it's always been us together like that and whether we have a pet or not, something like that. So we've kind of attached to each other, but more importantly, we're um, dependent on each other. I would say like we're interlocked. Um, So it definitely brought us closer together, especially when in times where we have to move. You know what I mean? You can't really have so many personal problems that you don't want to be close to someone when you have to move from, you know, a continent to another continent. Right. Yeah. How did your parents help you I'm sure it must have been hard moving around like that how did your parents help you through that um I don't know I mean when I moved to Thailand uh my mother was working a lot so I guess it was really up to me to try to to form the connections and everything when I was in elementary school but they tried to make it uh she tried to make it easier than usual because she would enroll me in a bunch of clubs uh, I don't know if you know this, you're looking at a stamp club veteran and an origami club veteran. Cause my oh mom, my. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I can't say I'm, I'm any good at origami or stamp club, but she was trying to get me involved. So her getting me involved, um, that tried to help making the process easier. Uh, I was also in the Boy Scouts when I was younger, not the best experience, but I appreciate, you know, the, my mom trying. 
So that was her way in kind of helping me, you know, with the, with the absence of being in my own country and everything. Right. That's really sweet. Did, do you ever um, want kids? Do you know if you want kids or not? I most definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. Most what definitely. did, that's awesome. What um, do you think you've learned from your parents that you would translate to your parenting style and your future with a family? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. Um, the reason I'm so big on kids is because I grew up as an only child, right? So I didn't have the the big family and everything. So naturally, when you don't have it, you want it. So uh, I want, you know, the big family and a bunch of kids. I don't know about like 10 kids or anything like that. Uh, but uh, What's the stopping point? <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to make it <laughs> single digits. But it's between you know, me and my wife, I guess. But anyway, so I guess I learned a lot from my mother, especially in terms of um, how to make it work with the resources that you have. Because one thing I really admire about my mom is we didn't have a lot of money, but she was able to save up. She was able to rent out uh, a property she had and accumulate enough that I was still able to travel and I was still able to have clothes and everything like that. So that resourcefulness, I definitely want to translate as a parent. However, it's a fine line between resourcefulness and frugality and, you know, cheapness, you know, because my mom was always, you know, going there on the sale days and trying to get what she could for the family. And I guess that mentality has translated to my business because, you know, I try to keep the prices as low as possible because I'm like, ah, too low. No one's going to want it. But it's definitely something I want to instill in my kids uh, as a parent that there's always a way to do something with the resources given, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, before we move into like Bad Summer Vintage Talk, um, um, what kind of like, let's talk about culture and media for a bit. Um, What kind of music are you into? Uh, Well, the diplomatic answer is usually everything. However, I'm almost strictly a a rap and R&B person. I've been like that Mm -hmm. before. Man, ever since I was about 12 years old, I think. Really? Yeah, definitely. So I don't mean to put you on the spot, and you can you can sit on this and tell me at the end, but normally I have my guests give me about six songs to play in between segments. Yeah. Um, do you have, like, a few songs that you would recommend that, like, encapsulate your music taste? That's a uh-huh. big question, and I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. I'm like a music fanatic, so uh, I always have something like playing in my head at all times. Uh, how many songs do you want me to give you? Because I can, I can think of a few. Um, you can give me up to six, man. Up to six. Let me think about it. Um, these are some are old songs. Will you be okay with that? I'm absolutely okay with that. Okay. Okay. So um, recently, I've been listening to a lot of songs from the 1980s, like disco and everything, but. Uh, one modern song I would want you to play in between is probably Don't Kill My Vibe by Kendrick Lamar. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs a few years ago. But my older songs that I would want you to play, uh, theoretically, you know, there's a song called uh, Act Like You Know. is by the Fat Larry Band. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very vibrant, colorful disco song that I can just imagine roller skating to, but kind of can't right now. Uh, that song, what else? Uh, the beat goes on. I don't know who's. Ah, I don't know who played that song. Something with a W, but the beat goes on. It's an old eighty song. Uh, let me think. There's one more. There's one more. I know there's another one. Ah, hit a blank. That I got three for right now. 
that's all right you can you can if it comes to you later feel free to just let me know write it down tell me later (laughs) um what about movies are you a movie buff absolutely but i'm very picky with my movies but the ones i do love that i just like hang on to them yeah what's your genre of choice uh i think <laughs> i'm gonna say some uh, documentaries typically but documentaries. okay that's good at least i found someone else who likes those <laughs> but i do like drama films and at least with a historical context but mm-hmm. i would probably say my favorite movie I, I i can never answer with one i it's either boys in the hood by john singleton or uh city of god it was this movie that came out in about 2000 it's about brazil and uh, a certain favelas in the rio de janeiro area um ah there's one more but those are the two i can think of right now what draws you to this kind of movie i guess that it's telling a story about something real that's going on because a lot of what centers on those movies is is violence that's a common motif violence and and poverty and while those are such unattractive and kind of neat issues that need to be addressed it shows that there are still people living within those those areas still people living within those circumstances and life is just still vibrant for them it's still ongoing you know that's why these movies are so popular because they're drawn into that way of life and i guess for me it's the realism of it but it's also the artistry that you can take something like that and and make it so beautiful and so accessible to people. So I keep coming back to those movies. Like just recently, yesterday, uh, I watched Friday with Ice Cube and uh, Chris Tucker for the first time ever. And while that's more of a lighthearted movie, it takes place in the same type of world and how they portrayed everything, how easygoing and lighthearted, it was just just beautiful to me. So I guess I love seeing that when I do see movies because I'm just so picky. Yeah. I I love those kinds of movies, but I just like get so into like like everything about like films like that. I I I get too invested. So I've been watching like like lighthearted comedies for the past three weeks, like series that brain dead movie or films. <laughs> There's no shame in that. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the meat a little bit. So bad summer vintage. What is it? Tell me all about it. Uh, okay, Bad Summer Vintage, uh, I think, is the best vintage company around, but, you know, uh, no bias here. Uh, we try to be an affordable and authentic place for vintage uh, clothing, miscellaneous items, uh, apparel, literature, everything like that. But most importantly, I think that we're kind of a source of culture of the past, history of the past. We try to, you know, keep an archive and, and everything like that. So it's not that I'm trying not to use the word guardians because I don't think it should be kept but at least a place uh, a collection or a collage of those things um but yeah we've been in business almost two years uh as of next month and uh, we've been loving it so far and it's been an absolute privilege doing what we do and trying to convey history through clothing awesome so how did this idea come about uh well it came about in about i believe this was early may or late may of 2018 uh, I was between jobs uh, at that point. I had just left my job at a at a unnamed gym, and I had been there for uh, almost a year. And previously, before that, I kind of informally dropped out of of college or uh, Montgomery College, and uh, I was just kind of working, building up experience. But I was kind of, uh, you know, lost in a way. Like I didn't have direction in the sense that I was just doing to get by or just doing it moment to moment. So I was between jobs, and I had been 
a thrifting addict for years uh, since I graduated high school. And uh, I had always loved going into thrift stores and just seeing what I could find. It wasn't about finding something expensive or something to sell. I had never sold anything up until that point. But um, I just wanted to learn something. I wanted to find something new that, that nobody else had and something that I could show, you know, through my clothing and everything and, uh, you know, convey meaning. So I think one day, you know, the Eureka moment, I was in a South Asian army and I was looking around and I was like, man, look at these, look at these hats. Look at these, you know, old jerseys, man. I bet someone, I mean, I don't want to, but I bet somebody would like them. So I was like, you know what, man, forget it. I'm going to, I'm going to just try it. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to do it. So I went to a very large thrift store that's in Silver Spring. I went with $20 and I was like, let's just see what happens. So I went in with $20 and I was like, okay, let me see what I can find. I don't want to, you know, buy something too, too, you know, with holes and too beat up or anything like that. So I bought $20 worth of things. I think it was my best haul ever. And uh, I was able to put that for sale. I was selling out of the trunk of my car. And I believe I sold out everything in about a week. And uh, it was on from then. I could not, I never stopped. So I just loved it. I loved the thrill. I loved finding stuff. And I loved the relationships I built with the customers. So there was more of a demand than I realized. And I was like, man, I really, I really like this because I still enjoy thrifting. I still love history, love music. And I was like, you know, I think I should just continue this. So we started snowballing and growing from there. That's awesome. When did, so right now you're mainly online, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So when did you move from the trunk of your car to what it is now? And um, yeah, what, what sparked that change and how did it work for the company? We ran, we ran out of trunk space. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was part of it. Well, I used to, I, I tried to like dress it up a little bit. I said, oh, it's my portable store. So I would go to my friends' houses or jobs or whatever. I'd pop open my trunk. And it's horrible. I looked like I was selling contraband out of my, my trunk. <laughs> so it was, it was not the best presentation, but it, you know, it keeps you humble. Um, but eventually I got so much stuff that it was not good to just lug it around in my trunk. And in the event somebody breaks in my car, that's my whole store. So I don't all your stock. <laughs> yeah. So eventually we're like, we had we had like a free domain name with uh with Wix and we weren't really using it. It was just kind of a shell. We had just not paid any attention to it. So eventually I decided that, you know, I need to get people to see what I have without having to to go into their personal space and whatever you know I need to really invest in this website so I believe it was early of last year I really you know put a lot of effort towards it and a lot of thinking and artistry towards it and I was able to to really flesh out our website and um, originally we were aiming for a retail presence but with the recent economic downturn and kind of the future you know the retail apocalypse and everything we're kind of reassessing that so for right now we're an e-commerce site and it's been working really well for us i mean people usually buy things online and we just make sure we're trying to give them the best product possible just with the means provided yeah awesome and i know you guys have such a such a um brand online so can you tell me about what brought you to that kind of like public uh, persona? Uh, I don't know. I guess it was just simple evolution um, through the months because we started our main social media platform, which is Instagram. Uh, we started that 
a few months after we we came into business and uh even from the get-go i wanted to make sure that we were posting more than just clothing because there are a lot of people who are just concerned with uh posting their clothing how much money they're going to make on the clothing and that's kind of it but i want to make sure hey did y'all know about this movie we're going to do this hey we're going to tell you about this movie uh, like i did a segment on boys in the hood and I, I gave a lot of history about it and this was back in about september so we grew from that and started getting better pictures and better content and then we started actually putting out a presence and advertisements and, and logos. And, you know, I like to think of myself as an artistic person and with people who are artistic, you evolve, you know, through your years. So I think that my growth as an artist is reflective in the brand to what we have now. Like now I'm able to use trademark fonts and uh, use different type of content that we've created, specific, excuse me, specifically for our pages. We are absolute fans of bright colors. The brighter, the better. We Hot pink, I believe, is our signature color. And we love oranges, everything like that. We're just... I like to use the term maliciously colorful. Uh, we try to be as colorful as we can. Our advertisements reflected that with the flyers we put around UND because I think that um, color should be celebrated. I think that it always, people actively seek it out whether they, you know, whether they want to or not. Um, so we always wanted to set ourselves apart with that. And our website reflects that def uh, definitely. So um, with our artistry in terms of our advertisement, our brand, that's what we try to always aim for. Yeah, I love the flashy alternative colors that you guys use. It's so like you have, to, you cannot look away. Thank you so much. That's what I was hoping that people would think about <laughs> it. I absolutely loved it, but it took uh, a lot more work than people realized. Just trying to sure. get it tuned. Yeah. They're perfectly right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So, um, what is the mission behind it? I know on your Instagram you have a couple of like. Um, story highlights that are like community and um, education. Yeah, right, so right. Can you tell me about your mission behind the entirety of it? Well, I would think that our purest mission is that, you know, we are a retailer. So uh, we are a business and so we sell products. But we noticed a long time ago that there was a, a disparity, right? Um, a, a few of them. So within vintage specifically, I don't know if you've ever been to a vintage store, but a lot of their prices, they're very high. And, you know, they're trying to factor in the work to, to take the materials and the original price and everything. Um, and having high prices consistently locks out a lot of people. You know, I don't know about you, but I can't afford to spend $50 on a T-shirt, you know, that I, that I found in the shop. So I wanted to make sure that we were providing the best product which is that the best, most authentic, uh, excuse me, authentic vintage, not that we're buying things, you know, just from five years ago and rebranding it. We want to make sure we have the best products at the lowest prices so everyone can buy our clothes, not just somebody who's more well off than somebody else or, or anything like that. And at the best prices with the most convenient delivery, because we want to make sure that it's not a hassle for people because there's a lot of like, kind of tepidness and shyness with buying online because you don't know if this website will rip you off and everything like that. So we want to make sure we're affordable and authentic with our clothes. And most importantly, uh, we're inclusive because a lot of vintage clothing, it runs smaller than the typical sizes or the sizes only go up to a large, but we want to make sure that we have clothes that everyone can wear because everybody likes the clothing. Everybody likes this type of style, this type of um, aesthetic. But we don't want to ever have people feel alienated from it. Because I know from my own experience, when I've gone into a thrift store or even just a normal clothing store at the mall, that you'd be very discouraged. There's a different type of hurt when you feel that something that should have fit you did not fit you. So we want to make sure we have that covered 
and we don't ever alienate people based on price or based on us just trying to make a buck and selling them fake low quality things. So I think that's our mission. That was, I know that was more words than you expected, but. No, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, so tell me about your team. Who are you working on this project with? Well, I try to be as, um, I try to work with my team as convenient as possible. We right now have a bunch of part-time volunteers working with us. Uh, it's mostly for when we need more hands on deck because most day-to-day -day operations is me and my girlfriend, Kelly. Um, but when we need hands on deck, like at the flea markets, when there's a lot of moving around, moving pieces, then I have a few friends that, you know, in our corral that we can go and, and reach to. And we, we try to compensate them, but they never want to. But hopefully I can, I can do that this coming uh, summer season. But they've always been believing in the brand, even before I was even uh, a presence. So I think I'm really humbled by how much that they believe in us and how much they care about us. Because it's always never a question of, oh, you know, I might help out or, you know, I don't really think I can deliver this order. It's always about, yes, absolutely, I'll do it. When can I do that? So kind of that loyalty that we've been, you know, uh, blessed to inspire has really, uh, I really appreciate. But our team is good. I hope to build it up more as we go on and uh, hopefully as business increases. But yeah, I just hope to continue to meet motivated individuals like that and, you know, establish relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me a bit about your packaging. I've seen it before. I've seen pictures, but tell me about the detail in your packaging for those who don't know and are listening. Um, are listening. Uh, well, I try to make it affordable as possible because there's a choice when you're doing shipping. You can put it in a big old box and, you know, charge them $50 or whatever, but we make sure to use mail bags so we can keep the price down so people can are able to afford it. But we made sure to use our, you know, our trademark on-brand coloring. We use the, the pink latex uh, mail bags. Uh, we recently started putting stickers into our bags, but we, we ran out. We have to reorder more. But we want to make sure it's a really intimate experience because when people choose to buy from us, instead of buying on eBay or buying from somebody else they know, it means a lot to us because they came with us with our business. So we want to make sure to reflect that and make sure to write thank you cards. And, I, you know, I would slip in my business cards with the, with the earlier orders. We started putting uh, smiley face stickers on our new orders. So we want to make sure that the customer knows that we really appreciate them. We appreciate them buying from us. So we want to make sure they uh, feel right at home and feel like we personally reached out to them. Yeah, I know I order a lot from Etsy. And that's my favorite thing. It's just the little things that come with the thing you bought. Like, oh, I have a sticker now and I'm going to keep the sticker forever. Like, yeah, it's, just such an, yeah it's like a little intimate um, connection to this random artist. Yeah, okay. definitely. So how do you pick your pieces? What calls you to a specific piece? What's your process? Well, I guess I engage in something I like to call like precision buying where when we go into a thrift store, we don't try to just get 50 different pieces of clothing we think people might like because it has a little brand name or something like that. We make sure that out of maybe 10 items, we just get one. Not so much that we want to keep our cause down, but we just don't want to flood the customer with information or just a bunch of bland items that, you know, we could just make a dollar off of. So when I go into a thrift store, it's usually you just feel the, the, the calling, you know, when you, when you hit on something then it strikes you as very unique because I don't want to carry things that everyone else has. I want to make sure that 
when you buy from us and you see it on the street somewhere, you know it's from us because it's very unique. But we always go for colorful. We always go for whatever size it is, whether it's an XXXL or it's an XS, then we always try to buy it. Um, but it, most importantly, it has to be vintage. So generally for us, because vintage is kind of a big term, probably before 2003, I think, because, you know, we're getting into the 2020s. Um, because there's a lot of contemporary pieces. I believe most thrift stores are just contemporary pieces, but we always want to make sure it's authentically vintage. We're not just rebranding it as vintage and that it's colorful and it's just special in its own way to the point where a customer can buy it and rock it and feel really good about themselves and be kind of stand out in the crowd with that. So we want to always make sure we buy the best things. So why the name Bad Summer Vintage? Well, it is a personal reason. So the reason I named it Bad Summer is there's kind of two stories. There was the, the origin of it. So back in 2017, I mentioned a, a turning point, right? So um, that summer, uh, something really negative happened to me. Uh, me and my girlfriend, we had been dating in secret for years. And um, her parents found out about it. And it was really bad because they, they were very strict at that time. So I basically, she got her phone taken away and that was the only way of communication. And, you know, we're very, cl we're very close. And I love her very much. And getting that taken away, was like, it was like the worst case scenario. They found out about me and just whatever. And they gave her, you know, an ultimatum and, and all that. And it was just, it was very bad for both of us. And um, that summer, it was, that was kind of like the first thing that happened. So it affected the relationship between me and my girlfriend. We just had to email and um, it was just very hard on us. Very, very hard. And that same summer, oh man, a few things happened. I, I got into a car accident and I lost my car. I couldn't find a job at that same time and nobody was hiring. And I, I know how it is now when people talk about not being able to find a job because man, I went to Pizza Hut, I went to McDonald's, everybody, no one was hiring anything and I needed a job really bad. Um, so I got my car, you know, my car was totaled and I was looking for my job and everything. And it would just, it was, it was just a bad summer. It, it really was. So eventually my, me and my girlfriend were able to communicate again. She got the phone back and I was able to find a job. It wasn't the most glamorous of, of jobs, but I did find a job. And that was the one I stayed with until, uh, I left to start my company, uh, afterward. And things got better. And that semester, I actually, I had, uh, I was able to go back to school and uh, go with my girlfriend. And that meant a lot to, to spend time with her. And we actually, you know, got really better from there, you know. So it was a, it was a dark period. It was a bad period. But it got better, you know. So years, a year later, I'm thinking about, okay, I don't have a name for this, this company that I started. I need to think of something. So I remembered a song that had been playing that I had heard earlier that year. It was it was this old like Wu-Tang song. It was like, uh, I think it was Ghostface Killer and Jada Kiss and it was called Run, right? And there was a line in it that resonated with me, but, uh, and I made it the company name and it was called, All I Remember is something about dirty hallways and I'm not gonna say it on, on the recording, but it's called BS Summer, right? So I heard that. And I was like, man, I had a BS summer uh, last summer and it got better, thankfully. But 
you know, I, um, I was like, that should be my company name. So literally my company name was BS Summer Vintage. And I thought it was okay. I thought, you know, that's, that's great. That's good. That's going to get people in. But eventually, uh, as I like try to get business cards printed on it, I'm like, this is not going to work. I cannot have like, as much as I believe in freedom of expression and, and everything like that, I can't have something vulgar as my company name. And it's illegal for me to trademark it and everything like that. So I'm going to run into problems. I need to need to change it. So we shortened BS Summer to Bad Summer. And it's stuck ever since. And I was so loyal to it um, that I stuck with it. But it was kind of a, as a tribute to that period of my life. Because while it was overwhelmingly negative, uh, I still feel like that was a real turning point. You know, you feel, you, you see a lot, you hear a lot about coming of age stories. And I think that I, like, I've been hoping for it my whole life to have a coming of age moment, but it was during that time that I really truly was like, this is real life. This, and this is how bad and how much pain you can feel in life. And I don't, I want to make sure I'm making the most of it. So it was a tribute to that turning point that while it was a bad period of my life, so much good came from it. You know what I mean? So I want to make sure to, to pay tribute to that. And uh, yeah, so it's stuck ever since. It's a bit of a mouthful to say, but I just, man, I've just grown so attached to the damn thing. I can't let it go. So that's where Bad yeah. Summer just comes from. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful story. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So how do you see the business evolving in the future in the next coming months? Although they are um, probably not great for expanding businesses in this time but you know in the future in general what do you think well i can say for at least within the next one or two years uh we want to expand online of course improve our infrastructure because there's always something to make better there's always something to make more efficient so whether it's dropping our shipping prices or making sure our packaging is more and more impressed because we're, we're starting to use invoice papers in, in our uh, on our shipping orders and expanding our presence online. Uh, mostly it's advertising. We want to make sure we're getting the word out there, not just with flyers, but through uh, the internet and social media. But I think one thing that I'm really focused on, especially in the current recession, in the current pandemic, is uh, my company plans to do a lot of social programs, at least during the summer. Uh, like hopefully if everything goes well and we're able to to leave our houses, uh, we want to start doing trash pickup and things like free breakfast and everything. We want to make sure that when we say we're community-based, that we are actually serving the community. Because before uh, last year when we conceived of this, there was a demand, but it wasn't very high. But now that coming out of this where about 13% of America is under unemployment, I think that there's going to be an overwhelming need for that. And we want to make sure that we're filling that void. We're not motivated by profit or making money. We just want to make sure that me having this resource and having this organization under me and, and the workers that work with me, we can do some good. So that's what I really want to expand is us serving the community. Because we were able to do food drives uh, last year. But you know, in a way you feel like it's not enough. So we want to make sure we expand uh, our, our social work too. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's really interesting. Like a company that's just a couple years old is already thinking about their impact on the community and, and how they can make it better. Thank awesome. you. We're trying our best. <laughs> um, so do you normally do flea markets in the summer? I think I saw that a bit online yeah well um technically it was kind of weird because we started in may and we kind of uh 
we, excuse me, I started the business in May of 2018. So that summer was kind of ramping up the business. So summer of 2019 is when we started doing the, uh, the flea markets. And what we would do is we would take the merchandise we couldn't sell normally online and we would mark it down to a price that was affordable at the flea market, just a few dollars. And we would, we would sell it. And it was at the, the Germantown flea market. But um, the flea market, the problem is, is that it's only during summer. At least it's only seasonal because it only happens when it's hot. When it gets cold, uh, you don't want to be, I learned this from my experience, you don't want to be sitting out there in the cold or going shopping. So they closed down the flea market during the, the winter months. But unfortunately, I be, actually, I believe it was supposed to be two days ago that the first flea market, but there's no chance, I believe, that there's going to be a flea market at least until June. So uh, typically we would be doing that right now, but we're kind of on a hiatus uh, because of that. But we hope to expand uh, to the uh, Georgetown flea market because that's kind of more of our bag. That's people selling vintage records and clothing and everything. But we want to make sure we, we serve the local community first before we pack up our things, go to DC. Right, yeah. So tell me a bit about the archive. You mentioned it a few times. Can you expand on that a bit? Well, the archive is basically an informal name for what we have on, on Instagram. I couldn't really think of a name that was like perfect for it besides, you know, random collage. But the archive is essentially things that we deem is kind of like the Library of Congress. It's, we deem culturally significant or historically significant, but that things that people don't know about. Like I previously mentioned our segment on, on Boys in the Hood, the movie, right? Uh, we made sure that we were to find, and this is either through YouTube or, or different archival video sites on the internet, to include a a rare one-on-one uh, -on -one with the director talking about the message of the movie and everything now this is something normally people wouldn't see because that in that particular interview was on the vhs version of the movie not many people have a vhs player, so they're not going to see it but we saw it and we were able to take it and post it for people to see but most recently uh i believe we posted something about oh yeah we did a brand that we like cross colors we posted something, a segment that they used to have on TV because there's, there's millions of these videos that relate to our current culture, but we just don't know about. So they were talking about the brand and how something, and this took place in the early 90s, how something was fighting to be an inclusive brand and a diverse brand in the early 1990s fashion world. But people wouldn't know about that unless we, we were to post about that. So we try to get things that we know people would relate to and be interested in, and we want to post it for, for the world to see. You know what I mean? So that's what we try to do. It can be funny. It can be infer, you know, uh, informational, but we always try to do something relevant. So it's something that I like finding out uh, and finding throughout the internet. Like we did something on breakdancing. We did something on uh, inner city violence in Chicago. It's just something that I know that is important for people that people don't care about, uh, excuse me, people care about, but probably don't necessarily know about. Yeah, awesome. So who is your target in all of this? What kind of people do you want to reach out to? Well, ideally, it is just young people, uh, whether it's young people specifically between the 18, you know, 34 uh, demographic, but it's essentially people whose values that we can relate to or who relate to our values. Because when before I came to UMD, I was kind of separated from the world of people my age because I wasn't in school so I didn't know how much people cared about the past or how much people cared about fashion and everything but when I came I was overwhelmed I saw how many people cared about those things and were interested in them and it's hard to put a finger on it but our target demographic is just young people who want something more affordable something more sustainable 
and something more inclusive because a lot of times you don't get that in the mall or different fashion retailers. So people who just want something more, that's our target audience. We've sold up and down the spectrum and we hope to continue to do that. But uh, our priority is always people who are younger, who are just yearning for something in the past or yearning uh, just for a, a better tomorrow through clothing and through their choices. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. So, is there anything else you want to include on Bad Summer Vintage before we move on? Anything you feel needs to be said? needs to be said uh i just want to say thank you i want to say thank you to everyone who's ever bought from us anyone who supported us even taking a picture of our ads and followed us on instagram i see everything i see you know how much people reverberate with us and appreciate that and i'm always thankful for that because every dollar goes right back into the business that we earn we want to make sure that we're knowing our customers well and we're suiting our customers needs and we establish relationships with them so i just want to say thank you i believe i'm talking directly into the camera thank you to everyone who's ever brought from us we hope to continue serving the community uh, as time passes especially in this time of great need but it's been an absolute blast it's been fun and a total privilege to do that and i just hope that people will afford me the uh the privilege of continuing to do that so that's all i want to say Let's move on to some opinions. Opinions, right. How long have you been at UMD? So I started in fall of 2019. So I'm a bit of a spring chicken, but almost a year. Nice. So what's your opinion on your, or like what's your opinion on UMD in your first year? I know it got kind of cut short, but still. My opinion on UMD, I think, you know, just like everyone else, I fell in love with it. Uh, you know, everyone, because it's like the flagship campus, a lot of people have opinions about UMD, even though they don't go. I certainly was one of those people. And, you know, it's hard to admit it, but I didn't have a positive opinion when I was like, you know, 18, 19. But coming here, I think that it's just such an important school. and It's just such an invaluable resource to people who use it. I mean, we just, we have a radio station doing these things. Like yeah. that's one of the main things with historical context. But I love UMD. I love the people in it. But at the same time, because it's something I love, it's something I feel I can, I can criticize. So I think that there are a lot of things that UMD can work on. Uh, I know that something that was particularly striking with me was, I don't know if you saw it, I believe it was called the T-Shirt Project. It was about young women reporting their experience with sexual assault on campus. I'm not familiar with that, actually. Yeah, it was in uh, Hornbaker Plaza, I believe. They put, posted T-shirts with their with their message about it, about things that happened to them, and seeing that happen was was just monstrous. Seeing it in take place. So as much as I love UMD and the community it's established, seeing that is something that needs to be addressed. So I think it's definitely a work in progress, with not just that, but racism on campus or inequality on campus. So if we truly want UMD to be as good as we want, as we think it to be, we need to continue working on these things. But with all its, you know, its lumps and boils, I still love UMD. And I think that students and the faculty can continue to institute change and, and make things for the better, especially for the incoming freshmen and the future students. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. Um, you love it that you can criticize it. It's something that, um, we inherited the UMD that we are in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and it's just our job for the next group of students 
Yeah. To make it better for them. Yeah, leave it better for the next generation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, what's your experience in college and you know higher education? Well, uh, as I said before, I went to Montgomery College. Um, I was kind of trapped in that kind of phase of idleness that a lot of people find themselves after high school. So, you know, you're on a conveyor belt through the public school system, you know, grades 9, 10, 11, 12. So when you go on to community college, you don't really, you know, view it as an opportunity. You view it as just you continuing that kind of cycle. But I think that the period when I went without college is when I, you know, informally dropped out. I was like, oh man, this was so much more valuable than I realized. Because I had done moderately well in community college, but there were still some weak points where I didn't apply myself. But after being without it and seeing what can happen from missing opportunities, you know, in your life, I was like, oh man, education is just so important. It's just definitely what makes a person in terms of what they know and how they apply it to their life. Certainly a lot of things I knew about, I know about retail and I know about business came from education, whether it was formal or informal, it was still education. And a lot of people say that college is not for them. And I believe that they believe that. But I do think while college, college might not be for everyone, education in whatever form is for people. So I think that my form of getting education was going back to school and eventually going to UMD. Um, but yeah, I just think it's an invaluable resource. And it's just getting older makes you appreciate it. As, you know, as hard as it is to say it, I, I see people my generation, the disparity between people who did get it and who didn't get it. So I'm just lucky to be here. I'm, I'm absolutely honored to be at the flagship, the state flagship college. And I hope that I can make the best of it. And I, I think that everyone should try their best to make the best of it because it's absolutely invaluable. Mm -hmm. I know for me, the most amazing thing I've gotten out of my two years at school so far is mm -hmm. just the people I've met and just the connections I've made. Yeah. It's the mm -hmm. only thing, yeah, it's the only thing that will last. Like you, you can, your education is what you make of it, but so are the opportunities and that's what will really drive you to success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I heard a saying, it was something like, uh, you meet your real friends in college. Something like that. Like, you know, high school is just the people you're around every day. But college, yeah. when you truly meet people who resonate with you, you know. So mm -hmm. I've been encouraged by the people I've met so far uh, at UMD. It's very, uh, not eclectic, but flavorful, I guess, the amount of people. <laughs> so it's really cool to continue meeting people. Yeah. And when you meet the people who just inspire you to create, to keep working. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of those people here. Like I remember, uh, I'll do a semi shout out. There was someone named Quan who worked in the transfer office. And he, he's just a ball of energy. As soon as you meet him, he, he just talked to everyone about whatever. He graduated this past semester, but meeting him, it's like, man, I really need to raise the bar in how I interact with people. But I would have never had that if I never come to UMD. So I think that the people here, the nice ones, they're absolutely the best. And you learn so much from them. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. This is a kind of smooth transition. Wow. But um, what's the best quality in a friend, in your opinion? The best quality in a friend is definitely trust, I think. Like being able to yeah. trust somebody with information or do something for you. Because I guess that kind of what makes or breaks a friend. You have friendly acquaintances, but um, when you have a friend, you know, it's someone you can just genuinely 
put something valuable in their hands and they'll do it for you. You don't have to question it, you know? So I think trust, other people might say loyalty or, or, you know, admiration, but I think trust is the bedrock of every friendship and relationship too. Yeah. We're going to be moving into our final few questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So first one being, what do you often take for granted? What do I take for granted? What do you often take for granted? I have to think about that. Um, <laughs> I think what I see day to day, maybe. Um, like, for example, today, it was like a beautiful day outside, right? Um, I wouldn't have known that because I was cooped up in the house uh, doing, you know, online classes and work all day. But if you were to ask me like two days from now, when it's like raining and everything like that, I was like, oh, man, I wish I could have had a day like two days ago. But I didn't take the time to kind of go outside and enjoy it. You know what I mean? So I kind of missed it. So I think that in the rush and the bustle day to day, what goes on, we kind of miss how beautiful everything is around us, whether it's, you know, kind of a stillness, whether you're in your room or it's just the beauty of, of nature, just seeing the trees and everything, especially with everything going on. It makes you treasure what you have, not what you hope to have or what you did have, but what you have in that exact moment. So I think I need to do a better job of kind of realizing, hey, I'm, I'm alive right now everything is going good. And I, I need to, you know, be more thankful for that. So I think that's something I should work on, but it's definitely something I've taken for granted in the past. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I know it's hard to be mindful and um, appreciative in this time, but mm-hmm. it's a skill we can all work on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hmm. What is a successful, complete, and full life in your eyes? Uh, I think a successful, complete, and full life is one that was full of action. I think that um, when you fill your life with things that you do, not so much things that you planned or hoped to do, but when you do those things, I think that it like extends your life. Like for example, right? Uh, let's say during the day, you have a lot of things to do. And you do like maybe like 10 or 20 different activities. At the end of the day, you kind of, you, know, you get in your bed and you're like, man, I did so much today. Today lasted forever. So I believe that if you fill your life like that or fill your year or your week like that, it extends that period because you're doing something, you know, you're taking action. Like, you know, when you're on a work shift, uh, eight hours of sleep feels different than eight hours working because you're doing something. So I think that a full complete life is something that you spent doing the entire time and doing what you wanted to do and doing what you truly dreamed of, you know? So I hope to live that life. I know that I I could waste my time on social media or or doing something like that, but it's all about action, I believe. Because a lot of people at the end of their lives that I've heard, they say they they wish they had done this or, you know, they wish they had taken that. So I don't want to have that, you know, hanging over me. So I want to make sure I do as much action as I can. So I guess part of that kind of fueled me to do this. You know, why wait to start a company? Why not do it right now? Right. Do you feel like you've been living actively? Like right now, do you feel like you're living actively? No, I think I do, but I wasn't always like that. I think that Mm -hmm. before I started and about the time that I was out of college, that I wasn't living actively. It was just a bunch of hopes and a bunch of wishes, but not, not really any action. But I think the turning point, came you know about in 2017 that I was like you know my life I don't want just to pass me by I need to do something so I think that eventually got me to the point where I wanted to start my own company 
And I did that and I was able to do that. And it's just been go, go, go since. And I haven't looked back. You know, I really wanted to continue being like this because everything has improved and it almost gives you a clarity. It doesn't cloud, you know, your mind with work or anything. It gives you a clarity and a goal to work towards. So I hope to continue doing that. Awesome. What is the big challenge you're facing right now, be it personally or otherwise? A big challenge right now, I guess, is to make sure that I keep up communication with my friends and, you know, my girlfriend, despite the pandemic, because, you know, this is about a once in a generation thing that's, that's going on. So we're kind of not, we weren't ready for it mentally or emotionally and everything. So it's just a big challenge, just keeping your cool during this period and making sure that you keep in contact with people and you're still there for them, even though you're not physically there with them. So I think that this is not an isolated thing. I know that people around the world and certainly almost everyone in America is feeling like this. So I know that the way through this is through perseverance and through calm, but I think that is the challenge that I'm facing. And it's also been a bit of a drag on business too, because we can't get new stock because all the thrift stores are closed. And when there's a recession, there's less money to go around. So less money has been coming in, but it's about perseverance and being able to hold yourself in, you know, in a drought like this and ultimately seeing where you can help, you know, where you can pitch in. So I think that's something we're going through right now. And, you know, what you put in the community, hopefully the community will give back. So hopefully what, you know, the effort you're putting in will soon come back to you. Everything will work out. (laughs) And thank you. I certainly hope so. But it's non-conditional. As long as I help somebody, that's what the important thing is. Right, exactly. Right. Um, How do you hope you'll change in the future, personally, to reach your goals, to live the life that you want to live? I I hope, and I, I think this will happen, I'm working towards it, but I hope I get more courage to act and I plan less because I'm an over planner. I'll have, you know, pages and pages of a plan, but then I just, I won't have the courage to do it because, you know, fear is always the thing that separates a lot of people. A lot of people haven't started, you know, various companies or done projects because they're just, you know, afraid. And that fear can manifest itself in procrastination and everything like that. And, you know, I'm not partial to it. I, it happens to me too. But I hope that as I get older, because I'm 23 right now, and I get more, you know, to 24, 25, that it just melts away. I know it won't be gone forever, but I hope that I, fear, I feel fear less and less and that I'm able to manage it more. And I just take more action, like I said. Do you feel a lot of fear in your day-to-day? I think um, in my day-to-day activities, no, but my day-to-day thinking about the future, I think, yes, there is like fear you got to fight with all the time, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. But uh, yeah, it's just something you have to kind of mitigate and learn how to control. Go I want to thank my girlfriend, Kelly, because I want to make sure I, I always pay tribute to her. She's been my number one supporter. Her name's Kelly Reyes. She goes to UMD too. We were lucky enough to go to, to UMD together, but I love her very much. We've been dating for five years, if you can believe that. So wow. uh, she's my future wife and I'm really blessed to have her. And I hope that this company continues to grow and we'll continue to be ahead of it. So Kelly, if you're listening, I love you and thank you for everything you've done for me. But that's all the gooey stuff for now. Uh, and after that, <laughs> 
I've been waiting to do this. So if you are interested in the shop or you want to give us a visit, just please visit our Instagram. It is at a bad summer. That's the letter a bad summer. And our website is badsummervintage.com. That's badsummervintage.com. And that's all we got for right now. But uh, shout out to WMUC for letting me do this. I really appreciate you guys. And again, it's a great honor. I wish I could have sat in y'all waiting room on the couches because I saw that. But, you know, better luck next semester. I can't wait to, to be back. And I think the graffiti y'all got is really cool. Uh, <laughs> so I hope to continue, you know, keep up with you guys. And I, I want to thank you for letting me on to the show. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. Um, yeah, so this was Meet Your Neighbor. Um, normally, you could find us on the WMUC app. You can still download and listen if you'd like. Um, that's um, WMUC Radio on the App Store. And um, wmuc.umd.edu. Always give us a listen. Check out um, our blogs and things like that. Um, and you can find me on um, Spotify and wherever you find podcasts and next semester back on the radio again like usual. Um, again, thank you so much to Matt Patterson for coming on and talking about um, Bad Summer Vintage. We appreciate you so much.